This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Greg Tino from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. I'm the podcast editor for the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. Welcome to today's podcast. The topic today is beta blocker therapy and clinical outcomes in patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. We're joined today by Dr. Mark Dransfield, who authored a paper entitled Beta Blocker Therapy and Clinical Outcomes in Patients with Moderate COPD and Heightened Cardiovascular Risk, which was recently published in the Annals. By way of introduction, Dr. Dransfield is a professor of medicine and the William C. Bailey MD and Dow Chair in Pulmonary Diseases in the Division of Pulmonary Allergy and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and also the Birmingham VA Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Dransfield. I greatly appreciate your taking the time to participate in this podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, I'm looking forward to our discussion. As you know, as you well know, there's been a lot of dialogue and debate over the years about the impact of beta blocker therapy in patients with COPD, and and your paper certainly adds to uh, the evidence base. So, let's uh, let's dive right in. So, your study analyzed data from the Summit trial, which was a huge trial enrolling over 16,000 COPD patients. So, I thought it would be a good way for us to start for you to tell us about the summit trial uh, and its relevant findings and then get into how your particular paper, uh, how this particular study uh, evolved. Fair enough? Fair enough, absolutely. So the summit trial, uh, as you said, was a very large trial published in 2016 in The Lancet. And the trial was a randomized study of fluticasone, the inhaled corticosteroid, Volantrol, and inhaled beta agonist alone or in combination uh, versus placebo in COPD patients with mild-moderate disease who either had existing cardiovascular disease or were at increased risk for cardiovascular events. And the background rationale for this, uh, as you alluded to, is that COPD patients are at increased risk for cardiovascular disease independent of shared risk factors. And in fact, in patients with mild to moderate airflow limitation, which was the target group for this study, more patients die from cardiovascular disease than from respiratory causes. There have been a lot of proposed mechanisms for why the two diseases are linked, including possibly systemic inflammation and vascular dysfunction, and and that remains somewhat unclear. But it's been hypothesized for some time that treatment of the respiratory disease uh, when inhaled therapies may actually improve not only respiratory outcomes, uh, but cardiovascular outcomes. And this was supported uh, by a post hoc analysis of the TORCH study, um, which was similar in design in that it tested an inhaled corticosteroid and inhaled beta agonist alone or in combination versus placebo. Uh, with a primary outcome of mortality. This was published about 10 years ago now. And in a post-hoc analysis from that, there was a suggestion that patients who were on combined fluticasone and salmeterol had a reduction in cardiovascular events. And so Summit was designed to follow up that post-hoc finding uh, and to test uh, whether the inhaled therapy would have an effect uh, in patients with mild to moderate COPD 
uh, who either had known cardiovascular disease or, again, were at increased risk for uh, those events. And the, the bottom line to the summit study was that there was no difference uh, in all-cause mortality or in the risk of cardiovascular events um, uh, with any of the active arms compared with placebo. All the active arms reduced the risk of exacerbation, and there was the suggestion that the steroid-containing arms might reduce the rate of FEV1 decline. So, Mark, just out of curiosity, so uh, the focus of the study, both the summit and then obviously your current paper, focused on mild to moderate COPD. Was, why was that chosen, and why, for example, was not some more severe COPD uh, looked at in the trial? Right. So the the TORCH study uh, focused on a more severe population. And again, that, that paper was published about a decade ago or so now. And it was in that study that there uh, was the suggestion that the combined corticosteroid beta agonist treatment might have benefits on cardiovascular outcomes. And it was thought that by targeting an earlier uh, stage of COPD that might be more responsive to treatment and also enriching that population for cardiovascular risk that they'd be more likely uh, uh, to to be able to demonstrate a benefit. Thanks for that clarification, Mark. So, um, all right, so let's get let's get to the to your current trial. So, uh, again, please outline the focus of your study and and then really just give us the background of what was the impetus uh, for looking at the data. Um, again, uh, focusing on um, on long-acting beta agonists and beta blockers. Sure. So there remain concerns, as you said, about the use of beta blockers in patients with COPD uh, due to uh, persistent concerns about potential adverse respiratory effects. And in fact, the drugs, beta blockers, continue to be underutilized in the COPD population, even when patients have an absolute indication to receive them, for example, uh, post-MI. Uh, and despite the fact that uh, studies suggest that COPD patients with an absolute indication derive the same benefits uh, from beta blockade in those settings as do patients without COPD. There have been some small randomized trials that suggest that beta blockers um, don't impact lung function, which would be one of the primary safety concerns that uh, underlies their underutilization in the COPD population. But but these randomized trials are short, and some of them are uh, methodologically problematic. Uh, on top of that, there have been some observational studies that suggest that beta blockers may not only be safe, but might actually reduce the risk of exacerbations and even mortality in COPD rather than uh, be deleterious. And we'll talk about it probably later. There's a randomized trial that we're involved with that's ongoing to test that hypothesis. But what's really not been examined is whether the use of beta blockers uh, impacts the response to long-acting inhaled bronchodilators or inhaled steroids, for that matter, which was the primary objective uh, of our study. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk about the study design and then really get to the meat of the discussion, which is the main findings of your study um, and its clinical impact on patient care, and then uh, and then we'll talk about some other salient features. Okay. So we did a, a secondary analysis of the uh, summit study uh, where we uh, examined patients who were and were not taking beta blockers 
at study entry and looked at the relationship between uh, the use of those drugs and outcomes. And in particular, we looked at uh, changes in FEV1 over a one-year period uh, after randomization. We also looked at the risk of exacerbation, the risk of cardiovascular events, and the risk of mortality. And it was set up to test whether or not uh, beta blocker use impacted um, the association between randomized treatment and those outcomes. We uh, also looked at whether or not beta blocker use at baseline was itself associated with any change in respiratory or cardiovascular outcomes, although that was really not our primary objective. There have been numerous studies that have uh, looked at that uh, potential association. Um, we found that about a third of patients in the summit study were on beta blockers at study entry. Not surprisingly, the folks who were taking beta blockers looked very different from those that were not in that they had uh, more cardiovascular disease, uh, in particular more ischemic heart disease, as well as a, a higher prevalence of cardiovascular risk factors in gem general. So, again, we examined the, the association between baseline beta blocker use and outcomes, uh, initially focusing on the placebo arm, uh, and in multivariate models showed that there was no relationship between baseline beta blocker use and the subsequent risk of moderate or severe exacerbation or the risk of mortality. Uh, we also found no relationship between uh, beta blocker use and the primary outcome of composite cardiovascular events. And after that, we went on to show that baseline beta blocker use did not have any impact on the response to randomized treatment. So that's the response to any of the randomized treatment arms, the combination inhaled steroid beta agonist, the beta agonist alone, or the steroid alone compared with placebo on FEV1 at any time point, 3, 6, and 12 months, or on the risk of exacerbation, cardiovascular events, or mortality. So to be specific, there, there were no interactions at all between beta blocker use and the response to randomized treatment versus placebo for any of the main outcomes of Summit. So that's you know that's a very important I think and it adds to literature about the, again at least in terms of the safety at least in a in a in a in a randomized but but now retrospective look at a randomized trial. Um, so um, a couple of things: how are cardiovascular composite uh, events defined? Are these ischemic events, um, unstable, uh, you know, um, unstable angina? What were the what were the, what was the definition of the composite events? Sure. So the, the composite cardiovascular endpoint was uh, any of cardiovascular de death, myocardial infarction, stroke, unstable angina, or transient ischemic attack. And one of the advantages to the summit study was that um, because the cardiovascular endpoints were of major interest, uh, they were collected not only as self-reported uh, by participants, but as adjudicated by an independent clinical endpoints committee. So uh, we uh, are, feel pretty confident in the uh, medical events as being uh, truly meeting these criteria. Uh, Mark, what? What was, you know, obviously uh, long-acting muscarinic uh, drugs are obviously very commonly used, especially in patients with mild to moderate COPD. Was LAMA use similar uh, between the study populations? So prior to randomization, uh, about 15% of patients were taking long-acting muscarinic antagonists. 
which was less than the number of people who were taking inhaled steroids or LABA, which was more about more like uh, a third of patients uh, across the treatment groups. After randomization, LAMAs were not permitted as part of the trial uh, in the upfront design, although there was the allowance for them to be started uh, following randomization if patients uh, were not doing well medically uh, uh, in the opinion of the investigator. And about 5% of patients were started on LAMAs uh, after randomization, and that didn't differ really between the treatment groups. So I think this is a little bit a little bit different than clinical practice in which you as you said, you might expect a higher percent of patients uh to be taking uh llamas in this subgroup. Mark, does there any scientific plausibility to suggest that, that llama use or any differences in llama use can impact on either, for example, uh, any any effect on FEV one or any of these other cardiovascular outcomes? I don't know of any, but 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 certainly I would defer to you on that. Well, specifically as it relates to an interaction with beta blockers, there's essentially no data on that issue. And obviously the, the low use of llamas in, in our study doesn't really allow us to examine that uh, well. Because of the uh, major interest in the potential uh, cardiovascular toxicity of the of LABAs and the potential for beta blockade to block any respiratory benefit from LABAs, that was really the focus of what we were trying to do. And can you extrapolate um, your findings to other LABAs, not just Valanerol, but the other, other products that are out there? So I think, uh, obviously, we didn't test that specifically, but I think, uh, in general, the answer to that is yes. Uh, the molecules that were tested in this study, although obviously not exactly the same as uh, everything that's on the market, are really generally similar uh, in in terms of its uh, beta selectivity. So I think um, that it probably can be extrapolated. In fact, uh, there has been another study recently published or online in CHEST that examined the same issue uh, uh, about whether beta baseline beta blocker use impacted response to long-acting uh, bronchodilator treatments uh, um, in a different uh, drug development program, specifically looking at oladaterol, the beta agonist of oladaterol. And they found no interaction either between baseline beta blocker use uh, and lung function, health status, or symptoms. So I think, I think yeah, in general, I would say these were generalizable findings. Makes sense. Um, how about I just want to clarify the issue of the outcome. So, so you looked at um, uh, at the post bronchodilator FEV one at three months, and th did you look at outcomes beyond three months? You mentioned that you had data for six and twelve months, um, and that goes with the other endpoints as well, including exacerbations, the first cardiovascular event, etc., and all cause mortality. Did you look beyond three months? Yeah, so the, the lung function endpoints, uh, we looked for interactions between beta blocker use and response to randomized treatment at 3, 6, and 12 months and found no interaction uh, at all for those time points. For the others, meaning uh, all-cause mortality, moderate and severe exacerbations, and the occurrence of the composite cardiovascular endpoint, those were modeled throughout the study period and uh, across treatment arms, the average uh, exposure time was about 1.6 years. So the modeling is based on that 1.6 year uh, exposure time. Mark, based on obviously your, your 
your expertise in COPD and obviously your your research interests and your, and obviously knowing this literature. Were you surprised by what you found? Did you expect to see um, any potential deleterious effects of, of beta blockers? Well, so I think uh, in that we saw no relationship between baseline beta blocker use and the risk of exacerbations in the placebo arm, uh, I was somewhat surprised only because that seems to be a fairly consistent findings in, finding in other uh, studies, observational studies that have been previously um, published. Uh, of course, there could be lots of reasons why we haven't seen the, the studies that have shown no benefit, um, and obviously because of the design, we can't, you know, in, uh, conclude a cause and effect relationship. But I think that part was a little bit surprising, surprising to me. Uh, as to the lack of interaction between the beta blocker and inhaled treatments on the various outcomes, that was less of a surprise to me. Uh, so, you know, I want to just sort of move from obviously some of the research findings and really talk about sort of real-world experience and, 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 and real-world, uh, you know, concurrent beta, um, beta blocker therapy. So, uh, in your experience, have you seen any episodes of bronchospasm uh, in patients uh, with COPD who, COPD who get treated with, with a beta blocker? So... Uh I don't think that I have, to be honest. I think that, there, um, first of all, I, I probably don't start a lot of beta blockers in my clinical practice. Uh, you know, certainly don't do that on a regular basis. I think we certainly see patients who have been started on beta blockers and over time report symptoms that are likely side effects of the drugs, meaning they feel sluggish or fatigued or perhaps feel that their breathing is worse. But I think that those side effects typically take time to develop and are less likely to develop uh, acutely at the first dosing. And some of that relates to the, the, the fact that these drugs are mostly sustained release agents at this point. And so the likelihood of seeing uh, an acute drop in lung function uh, is lower. Not to say that uh, it's impossible, um, but I think that just because of the modern formulation of these agents, that's less likely to be seen. So the one thing, you know, and probably in in previous years when they were less long-acting uh, beta blocker drugs, etc., you know, I used to get asked on occasion by our cardiology colleagues who wanted to start a beta blocker and patients who would benefit from it, um, but were hesitant because of their underlying COPD. Um, so, you know, on a couple of occasions, we would give the first dose or the first couple of doses as an office setting. So do you recommend any particular precautions when prescribing a beta blocker in a patient with COPD? Uh, what do you tell patients to be on the lookout? Do you do it, you know, in a, in a quote-unquote monitored setting? Any, any reason to do that? So, I mean, I don't think it's completely unreasonable to suggest it, although I think that from a logistic point of view, it's difficult. Uh, I think that um, uh, it's very reasonable, obviously, to advise patients about the potential side effects uh, and to follow them closely after the drug started. But I think doing it uh, mandatorily in the clinic at the first dose, I don't think is clinically necessary in most situations. I suppose uh, everyone could imagine a time, a particular patient in which that might be something they wanted to do. Uh, but I think uh, for most uh, most patients, that's not really necessary. 
Um, some people have recommended that, uh, in addition to saying seeing patients back uh, for short-term follow-up after the drugs are started, that maybe spirometry ought to be repeated to be sure they're not having a- adverse uh, respiratory effects. The problem with that, of course, is whether or not that information would be actionable. Uh, and if you think that the patient uh, is going to derive overall benefit from uh, beta blockade, perhaps for their underlying cardiac condition, then a mild to moderate drop in spirometry might not be a reason to do anything different anyway. So <clears throat> I think the key is uh, making patients aware that the drug has potential side effects that could impact their breathing, uh, and then making an individualized decision about how closely they need to be followed, but probably not, in most cases, dosing them for the first time in the clinic. That's very helpful, Mark. I appreciate that. So we've alluded to the fact that about previous, uh, at least observational studies, that have suggested that selective beta blockers are associated with reduction not only in COPD exacerbations, but also in mortality. So what, what are the potential explanations for that as far as, uh, as, far as you're concerned? Right. So this is this is very interesting. Um, it's been proposed that cardiovascular disease, whether it is clinically overt uh, or subclinical, we know that if you go looking for it, you find underlying cardiovascular disease uh, far more often uh, than is clinically apparent in, in patients with COPD. But it's thought that that cardiovascular disease in some cases could be a primary driver uh, of acute exacerbations. And there's particularly interest in the subset of exacerbations that have been termed posse inflammatory, meaning they don't seem to be associated with any systemic evidence for uh, inflammation, whether driven by an infectious trigger or uh, in other inflammatory trigger, and that perhaps these events could be primary cardiac events, uh, whether those are arrhythmias, diastolic dysfunction, or frank ischemia, and in those settings, it's very plausible that beta blockers could have a preventive role. Uh, It's also possible that even in more traditionally thought of classic exacerbations, perhaps triggered by infection, that uh, beta blockade uh, could be beneficial and lead to an event becoming uh, less clinically apparent uh, than it would be in the absence of beta blockade. So there, there are cardiac reasons why um, uh, people have proposed uh, the drugs might be reduce the risk of exacerbation or even mortality. And then there's also been some suggestion that they may have direct respiratory effects. So one possibility is that their chronic use could lead to upregulation of airway beta receptors, which might lead to a better, better beta agonist response. And then there's some animal data that suggests the drugs might actually decrease mucus secretion and airway inflammation. So obviously those are fairly speculative uh, in terms of the respiratory benefits, but I think the potential for cardiac benefits is uh, perhaps the most likely mechanism. Mark, any any major limitations to to your study in terms of uh, in terms of its clinical applicability at this point? So obviously, it's, it's really important that that uh, we acknowledge the fact that the, the study is not randomized, and so we can't conclude a cause and effect relationship between beta blockers and the outcome, because there's certainly the possibility for residual confounding. The the other limitation to our study is we don't know whether patients uh, started or stopped beta blockade after randomization. We, for the purposes of the study, assumed that uh, whatever they were doing at baseline is what they continued to do throughout um, the study, and we don't we don't know that for sure. We also don't know 
whether people were compliant with beta blockers after randomization. We know that compliance with the inhaled treatments was very high regardless with, about whether they were taking beta blockers at baseline or not, but uh, specifically we don't know about uh, compliance with the beta blockers themselves. So it sounds like uh, obviously that a, a prospective randomized trial to look at this whole question of beta blocker therapy and COPD, both efficacy and safety, is is sorely needed. So, how would you design a trial like that, Mark? And is that feasible? Right. So, we are conducting a, a large randomized trial now in the United States, uh, examining imatoprolol, uh, uh, sustained release imatoprolol versus placebo, with the primary outcome being the occurrence of moderate or severe exacerbations. And we're conducting through this through the uh, COPD network that was originally founded by the NIH. This particular study is funded by the Department of Defense and aims to recruit about 1,000 patients. There have been 400 or so randomized so far. Uh, and so we'll directly test whether uh, the beta blocker uh, does impact the risk of exacerbation. And I think just as importantly as that, um, we'll test whether the drugs uh, are uh, truly uh, well tolerated or not in patients with uh, moderate to severe disease. And so this will be the largest uh, study uh, to test those two issues and should go a long way to resolving uh, the clinical debate. I think ideally the study would be a randomized trial with mortality as the primary endpoint, but for a variety of reasons, including logistics and money, that's difficult to do. So uh, the current one uh, is using exacerbation as its primary endpoint. So um, in the meantime, while we while we wait for the study to, to, to be available and be published, in the meantime, do you have any significant concerns as a clinician, Mark, about using beta blockers in patients with COPD who have a heightened cardiovascular risk? And then I'm going to ask you a second question, a follow-up question is, do you have any concerns about using it, for example, in COPD patients where it may be the right drug for their hypertension, but they don't have any other heightened cardiovascular risk? Do you have any concerns in either of those settings? So I think that, you know, the current evidence would uh, support the use of beta blockers in COPD patients uh, for sure if they have an indication to receive the drug. Uh, and so if they have underlying uh, congestive heart failure or if they've had a myocardial infarction or recent revascularization, I think clearly the evidence would suggest that the benefits outweigh the risk uh, in that group. I, I also think that the evidence supports uh, the concurrent use of beta blockers and long-acting beta agonists with, uh, and I think clinicians should have the expectation that the uh, efficacy of the beta agonist uh, and the benefits of the beta blockers should be uh, uh, comparable to what they would expect usually. Uh, in terms of people that have less uh, obvious cardiovascular disease, or maybe they just have a single risk factor like hypertension, uh, I still think that uh, using a beta blocker is a reasonable option, although there could be many others to treat the high blood pressures. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, COPD alone, I think, can be considered a clear risk factor for cardiovascular events. We know from previous studies that it's at least as powerful a risk factor as the ones people talk about all the time, including smoking and uh, hyperlipidemia. So uh, in that, uh, the condition itself is a, 
a cardiovascular risk factor, uh, it might be reasonable uh, to consider beta-block-8 even people who don't have overt disease. Although I should say that, you know, there is no evidence to support a primary uh, preventive role for, for beta-block-8 in that group. Yeah, but thank you for clarifying that because the issue of COPD being an independent risk factor for, you know, cardiovascular um, sequelae is, is very important, and I think it's important for, obviously, our clinical colleagues to, to, to put that um, in their toolbox as well. So, Mark, uh, I'm going to ask you as we come to a close to just to give us some major take-home points for clinicians about beta blockers, things that, that, again, to summarize our discussion and to really put it in a, in a focused clinical context. So I think that um, what we have shown and what others have shown is that uh, patients with COPD and uh, increased cardiovascular risk um, continued to derive respiratory benefit uh, without an excess cardiovascular risk from uh, long-acting beta agonist use, and that this is the same whether or not patients uh, are using baseline beta blocker or not, and that I think that um, the decision about using an inhaled beta agonist really shouldn't be influenced by the presence or absence of beta blocker therapy, and that the beta blockers themselves ought to be started uh, in patients with COPD where there is a clear indication for them uh, to prevent cardiovascular events. Mark, it was a wonderful uh, discussion, and I'd like to thank you again uh, for joining the podcast today. And to our audience, I hope you have found today's discussion on beta blocker therapy and clinical outcomes in COPD as informative and as clinically relevant uh, as I have. Until next time, this is Dr. Greg Tino, podcast editor for the Annals of the ATS. Thank you for joining in. 